My guest today is the Global Director of Sales Development at MessageBird. Here's what some of his colleagues say about him. He's one of the best sales leaders I've ever worked with. He has a unique talent for bringing out the best in people, coaching, motivating, and getting teams through ups and downs with a smile on his face. There are very few people in this industry with the magical touch he has. Here's another one. He is an energetic, engaging sales leader and a joy to work with. The keys to his ongoing success are his leadership, motivational, and communication skills. Daniel is a talented sales director and result-driven leader. And finally, he gets it, and quickly. Daniel Rodriguez, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. Oh, my, my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, you're, you're in Spain. Can you remind me again where you are? Because I know at the moment, and we're recording this uh, Bastille Day, 14th of July, uh, the headlines last night was Europe is on fire. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a heat wave. What's it like where you are? Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm based in Barcelona, in Spain. Uh, I'm originally from the other side of Spain, uh, actually Galicia, which is the Celtic uh, area in, in Spain. And uh, it is very warm at the moment here. It is super, super hot. Uh, I think pretty much all the country is facing similar to, to you guys. Uh, I guess it's good news, uh, at, you know, at least if you can control it, if there is no, because in Spain, normally you have a lot of situations where you have, you know, a lot of fires in the, you know, in the countryside and uh, it gets a bit dangerous. But, uh, you know, as long as you are able to, to control the, the heat, it's, it's, always, it's always good. It's always better than the cold. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I find it hard to sleep when it's really hot. I have no problem sleeping when it's cold, but I think these are kind of things you just get used to. It depends on where you live. Those uh, are the things. Those are the things that in Dublin, yeah, in, the, in Ireland, you don't have air conditioning. You don't have shades in the in the windows. Those are the things that in Spain, you know, we're probably all very used to. You know, to have, you know, you need to to set up your your home with those basics because otherwise, yeah, you 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 don't spend a good time, you know, at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me. You said you grew up in Galicia, and that's that's the north. Is that the northwest of Spain? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? What kind of a childhood do you have? Yeah. So I'm I'm from La Coruña, so that is the city, and um, basically I think you know I, I always had a, a normal childhood. I mean, doing pretty much the the usual stuff, and I think one of the the things I remember always is being kind of looking at my dad. My dad was a sales director and um, for some reason I always told myself that I didn't want to be in sales uh, that was something that I don't know why but I, I thought you know I had you know maybe another career path and and I actually tried you know to to go away but I think you know I don't know if it's on the genetics or, or something but eventually you know the path you know I, that, that I found was was actually sales and um, of course I study uh, for that um, business uh, in, in in La Coruña, in, in my hometown, and then shortly after, I decided to, when I when I finished the, the studies, I decided to to move to Dublin, to Ireland, for a simple reason. My English was not that good uh, at that time. I I cannot say that it's perfect yet because of course I still keep keep my accent. Um, but that was one of the reasons why I, I decided to move to to Ireland because I really wanted to make a career, a successful career, and I knew that English was one of the probably missing pieces at the time and uh, 
and yeah, I think, you know, after that, after finishing the studies, I decided to move to Dublin. I started working in a shop uh, on, a, on a sales on a sales shop, of course, you know, being the one promoting uh, the gifts. It was, a, it was actually a, an Irish gift shop, very famous in Dublin. And uh, that was the beginning, you know, I think uh, shortly after I started um, working for IBM, not in sales, but I think that was the reason why I, what I wanted to actually went, go into sales because um, I didn't enjoy my first job in IBM. It was pretty much a very administrative job. It was a uh, credit control and, and cash collection, which uh, I'm not saying that I didn't like it, but I didn't enjoy it that much. And when I had the opportunity to actually move into a sales role, I didn't hesitate and I, and I went for it. So I think that's the kind of origin of everything. Uh, I don't know if that covers the childhood and maybe a bit more probably, but um, yeah, that's mm. the kind of summary of the beginning of everything. Well, first of all, on the English, your English is perfect because you mentioned your accent. We all speak with an accent. I don't care where you're from. That's true. That's true. So put that to one side. It's flawless. So kudos on that one. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Because I know it's not the it's not the easiest language when you don't grow up with it. Um, especially especially if you pick it very late. I mean, I think in Spain we have sure. this this thing that I don't know why, but you know we don't start studying English up until university or maybe a bit uh, a bit before now it's changing i think that's something that you know when i look at you know uh, my family members the younger family members my nieces they go to school and i think since they are eight or ten they already start picking up english which is great uh that wasn't the case for me and i think for my generation and i think that's one of the the, the things that i think as a country we are evolving luckily uh because I think it's all is needed, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a common language that I think, you know, because of this, we are, you and I speaking today, but of course, is I think the language of the business uh, uh, this mm. day. So it's very much needed for everyone who wants to make uh, a career, you know? Yeah. You mentioned your father was a sales director and you didn't think he'd ever go into sales. I'm curious to know if it was something that you observed from your father in terms of what, or, or, or what your conception of sales was mm -hmm. as a younger person. I'm curious to know what it was about it that you didn't, you weren't yeah. attracted to. I guess it's a mix uh, between what I got from my dad and also the perception, you know, the old ugly perception of sales. So the first one, looking at my dad, busy man, you know, coming back home very late and, you know, probably thinking, okay, that is that the kind of life that I want? You know, being in such a, in such a, uh, dynamics of you know being in a rush and you know coming back home late and also the perception or you know i think historically you know being in sales is like being the guy that is gonna take advantage of you and trying to sell you something even if it's not good and you know this kind of stuff so i guess that was a combination of both that made me feel that i could do something else uh, yeah i guess that's the that's the answer mm. Mm. when you came to ireland you said you came uh to to learn to or to develop your English, shall we say? Mm -hmm. um, and you started working in a gift shop, and then you moved as a credit controller. I'm sure neither of those two were high on your agenda when you were going to college in in uh, Spain. And in, in 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 essence, it sounds to me like you were starting at a lower rung of the the ladder, if you like, the the, the career ladder. And, 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 you, and you took that step because there was a bigger goal for you. You must be immensely proud that you managed to 
move up that ladder very quickly uh, in a in a foreign country, essentially, in, or in a, in a certainly in a different culture, yes. foreign culture, uh, country too, but a different, very different culture. Uh, I'm curious to know what that felt like as somebody coming and not speaking the language very well, having to take a very entry level position, probably you know on a lot less money than you your your qualifications would have warrant uh, and and working your way up what 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 and and working through it curious to know what that feels like and what what it was like going through it i think you you name it that uh, you know you, you you feel very proud and and i think you know that is also the piece of advice that i would give to anyone who's starting their career you know not to not to feel that they need to reach something high very quickly and go step by step. I mean, even before that, when I was in Spain, I was a waiter, you know, on my summer, you know, I was studying during the, the winter and on the summertime, I was I was working as a waiter for weddings and stuff like that, you know, just to make a bit of cash. I think, you know, that's where you learn how to get further and to actually enjoy from that, from that uh, journey. Because uh, as you mentioned, every time I was taking a little step, you know, from the shop to IBM, you know, the first thing you were doing, you know, calling to your family, you know what, this happened. And of course, that feeling of accomplishment, I think that's something that you will always keep in your mind, you know, you, it will always be with you rather than a bigger paycheck and, and or something else. It's actually that feeling of, you remember, I remember when actually, you know, I moved from that job to another job and the feeling that that, that step, gave, you know, gave me, I think that's the, the main thing. And I, and I would say, you know, to everyone that it's, it's important to start from, you know, from scratch, you know, mm. to, to understand not only not only a job, because of course sometimes you need to start from scratch to understand and to learn really the job, but also to have the right set of values, you know, to, to understand how to to work hard and, and, and to you know to, to earn you know things because you really work hard for it. So I guess that's a, that's the sentiment of it and I, I feel mm. as you said I feel very proud. Mm. There's a perception and, and I'm going to ask you whether your experience of it agrees with this, that people coming into work environments now um, have an expectation of they're going to move very quickly mm -hmm. along the career ladder. First of all, I, I don't know because I'm not involved in it. Uh, I've been working for myself for 20 years, so I don't know. But but I'm, I'm, I hear this. And so is it true? And if it is, how do you temper that on one hand is ambition, but on the other hand is probably impatience. Yeah, I would say it's more impatient if, if you have to balance it up. But uh, yeah, that is entirely true. Um, I've been working linked to the sales development function for the last number of years, almost six or seven years in different companies. And that's the kind of org where you get profiles similar to what you just mentioned. People that they are, you know, probably out of uni, very fresh, sometimes very junior, you know, because it's probably the first job. And the picture that they have before they join is that, especially because this this is the perception that probably we are also given, uh, you know, especially in social media and LinkedIn and stuff like that, is that whenever you join an organization, in a matter of maybe one year or maybe, I don't know, 18 months, you get a promotion and you get a pay rise and you get, you know, and that's the kind of normal cycle. That's not always the case. I mean, if you ask my dad and, you know, the people from his generation, that didn't happen that way, you know, and probably they didn't have, they had to stay for maybe 
I don't know, 10 years in order to get, you know, something, something better or something different. So I would say that this is, this is very true. And I've, I found, you know, uh, people, you know, over the last years in my career that they actually expressed that and they came, you know, kind of in a, in a rush saying, Hey, you know what? I've been already one year doing this job and, and I understand, you know, the, where, where, where are they coming from? Because of course the SDR job, the SDR role is very tough sometimes, of course, you know, because you have, you know, to call, call people, you know, to knock the door and they don't know you, you get a lot of rejection, a lot of pushback and it's a tough gig. I, I get it. But one year at any job, I don't think is, 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 is a long time. Sometimes they feel it is, you know, sometimes they feel that it is way too much and they need, they need to change. They need to progress because otherwise they feel that they are stuck. And one of the, I, as I said, I had many situations where I was facing these conversations with one of the people in the teams that I was managing in the past. And I always use this analogy. Like you might think that five months, six months, maybe one year, it seems like an eternity to actually progress. But when you will become 40, 50, and you have 20, 25 years of, years of experience, and you will look back at you know your whole career, those six months or one year mean nothing. It is nothing. And it's actually better, I always think that it's better to give the right steps, solid and learning. I think that's the main objective that they need to have, rather than getting a role or getting, you know, I don't know, 5% pay rise. It's about the learning because if they, focus on the learning, they will be able to achieve, you know, probably more, I would say, stronger um, steps, more solid when it comes to, to, to a career. I think, you know, we are in a world where it's all about, I would say, showing up. We have LinkedIn. I think that is great tool and great um, channel for sharing information, but we get to a point where, you know, everyone is just posting when they get a promotion or when they are, you know, getting a change of the role, which I understand and I think is, is necessary. But I think we would benefit more from using those kind of channels to actually share also challenges and things that they are not going well. Nobody posts, nobody shared when something is going wrong or when they are fired. I mean, sometimes they do when there is a layoff like we had recently, but it's not the common thing. The common thing is actually, you know, to to pray themselves and to show off when they got a promotion or something similar. I get it and, I, and I'm not against it, but I think we, we need also to, to look a bit ourselves and, you know, not that much on our ego and more on the foundation, which is the learning and, you know, what are the real goals in, in, in the long term? Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. In fact, that whole LinkedIn thing was, for me, was becoming really problematic because it was every day the posts were, got a new job, got a new job, got a new job, and I'm kind of thinking, I don't care, I don't know you. Like for, like I, I had, I was following 13,000 people, because when I think of 20,000, between connections, I think 16,000 connections, and, and then 4,000 followers. And that's just because over the years, I've trained so many people, or you know, I'll post videos and people will say, I like the video and they'll connect and so on. And then LinkedIn automatically follows that. So you're getting this, can you imagine the feed uh, yeah. every day and always then people complaining about stuff and I'm thinking this is not the place I found a script um, some developer wrote this script and it allows you to you just run it in LinkedIn and it automatically unfollows everybody 
and it took about three hours to go through it all and I woke up and there's nothing there. Now I'm going back and I'm finding all the individuals who bring value. Exactly, that they are relevant. And I'm following they are relevant them. to you. Exactly. Yeah. I think otherwise it's a lot of noise and it's because your network of course keeps expanding and I think that's that's a good thing. But I think especially us as a leaders, we should probably, you know, think again how we use some of the tools that we are using because don't get me wrong, LinkedIn is one of the tools that I use every single day. And when it comes to prospecting, when it comes to finding new clients or even, you know, connecting with people, that's what we need. Mm. But we need to come back to basics where the usage of the tool is that and not a simple Facebook where you just post pictures of you in the office having lunch or things like that, which don't get me wrong, sometimes it's good because you give a, you know, an essence of what the, the, the environment in your office is and so on, but not all the time. You need to find the balance. I, I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not against because I actually, you know, I'm, I'm an ex-LinkedIn uh, employee and I'm, you know, I couldn't be more proud and more grateful of that company and what, what they achieve. But I think the users themselves, I think they need to understand, you know, how to actually, you know, get the right, you know, the right level of usage and, and also what is, what are the do's and don'ts probably. Yeah, I think you're right because it was like that in the early days, Twitter, when people would just pick, post a picture of their sandwich and then they, you know, they, they learned quickly, people don't want that, don't want to see that, and then they'll kind of post the content people want. So it, 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 it filters down. Um, when you think about the sales development role, I want you to maybe think about your nirvana, the, the kind of perfect organization from a sales development perspective, what that would be like. Now then, how is it to, how is it different today than what your ideal would be? In yeah, in terms of what the role involves, how long people stay, what skills they master. Yeah, I, that is a very good question. And to be honest, I could tell you that maybe over the last six years, I've seen a progression within the org, the role, huge. I think more and more the companies are aware of the importance of having a solid um, sales development um, uh, organization and, and, you know, why this matters, you know, because of course, you know, not only from a pipeline generation point of view, because of course you need to bring that pipeline. And I think, you know, when you bring these kind of profiles that are hungry, you know, they don't, you know, they, they don't really care about, you know, making, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 calls a day because they're actually, they, they think that that is the step that they need to take in order to, to learn a sales career. So I think from a pipeline perspective, I think there's no question mark. I think that's the, you know, it's, it's a no brainer. For me, the other side of the coin and probably the more important is how you're going to be able to scale your company, building a, ta a pool of talent that is going to able actually, you know, it's going to, it's going to allow you to bring salespeople within your team already you know of course reducing cost of hiring reducing uh, you know time of course of hiring because sometimes when you need to hire someone you go through a process that it might take i don't know up to three months sometimes or even more depending on the on the seniority being able to bring those individuals from you know fr within the company and uh, helping them to 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 grow within within the, the organization i think that's the most to me personally, the most impactful uh, aspect mm. 
and I and, and the one I actually enjoy the most. It's a hard moment because, as you can imagine, when you have to say someone that is a rock star, that is a top performer in your team, you actually need to say bye to that person because he's joining another team as a, as, a, as, a, as an account executive. It's a hard moment. And um, at the same time, I think it's a moment that is really rewarding uh, because you feel like that is the the proud the proud daddy moment where you see your kid growing up and you know joining uh, you know the A team and um, as I said it's a, it's a mix of feelings because of course you don't want to lose top performance but at the same time if you are you know if, if you as a leader you are aware of you know that you need to to provide that pipeline of, of talent you know to, to the organization that is for the you know for the better mm. for the better good of the mm. of the whole organization and it's a great moment. Okay. From a sales leader's perspective, then, where do you see the, the macro level challenges ahead for selling in the B2B space? Yeah. Um, selling is not even selling, but I think, you know, reaching out to individuals and, and you know, when it comes to prospecting and, you know, to, to actually put your feet on the door is becoming more and more challenging. I mean, uh, in the global role that I am at the moment, of course, I have the possibility to to face those challenges in different countries. So, for example, in China, they recently banned LinkedIn, so they don't have that social tool to actually prospect and they need to do more uh, network referrals. So, you know, every country has its um, specifics. And I would say that selling itself becomes more challenging because we are just more, you know, we are more people trying to get you know, our feet on that door, you know, we are not the only ones. And, you know, there are more and more, you know, SaaS companies that, you know, they probably reach out to you the same way that they reach to me every day and they call, call me, they send me an email. So, you know, at the end of the day, you finish your day and you have, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 emails from people that you don't know. So to me, the real skill is how to get your email or how to get your cold call being the successful one and be the one that actually is is being picked by by the by the prospect i think that's without a doubt i think the most difficult part and of course you know when it comes to the selling to selling itself uh, you know we mentioned linkedin but you know new ways of selling you know adopting bringing social selling into the picture or bringing new tools as well that allows you to do your job more efficiently smarter mm -hmm. uh, like for example automation tools without losing the personalization that you need to put always uh, when you reach out people. So I think it's definitely more complex, um, mm. but of course, it's, you know, we also have, you know, more, more tools. We have, you know, new methodologies that the people that they will be able to learn those very quickly, for sure, they will be the successful ones. You mentioned something interesting. You said at the end of the day, you've got these emails from people typically. <clears throat> um, and I'm sure you get your fair share of emails that just don't work for you. They delete. And, and sometimes it's the context. It's the end of the day, you're tired. And so you don't have time for all of it. What are some of the common mistakes you see people make uh, repeatedly mm. whereby they're guaranteeing that it's just going to be deleted? I think there are, there are two aspects here. First, the first one, I think, picking the right person. You know, they sometimes people they email blast every single person in the organization with no context. And maybe you are not the right audience for that email. Maybe you have nothing to do with the solution that they are providing and they are reaching out to you. So what for? Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be even answer to you because you know you didn't do your research properly. You should first of all map out the organization, thinking 
who are the five, six, seven stakeholders that they are relevant to the solution that we offer. That's the first step. Do a, do a yeah. good research. Okay. And then the second one, of course, I think is personalization, as I mentioned earlier. There is a still a lack of personalization. Why? Some leaders, they still rely a lot on automation tools. So automation tools that, you know, uh, enables people, you know, to send 100 emails, 200 emails a day, you know, email blasting people, forgetting a bit, you know, that level of personalization that at the end of the day, that is going to be the key to connect with people. If you don't have that personalization, you won't be able to connect with people. So those two elements, I think they still missed uh, from some individuals. And this is what it makes me, you know, normally I don't delete them straight away. Sometimes, you know, I try to give a fair, uh, you know, short coaching, you know, to these guys saying, you, you know what, you, you picked the, right, the wrong guy, you know, you should, you should, you know, write to me, maybe write to someone else. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, I, I don't, if I have too many, I cannot dedicate too much time to those emails, unfortunately. Yeah. It's funny, actually. Some of the emails I'm getting recently are about the podcast and their podcast agents, they're, they're trying to get people on as guests onto the podcast. And they'll start with, oh, we've, we've listened to your podcasts and we love it. And they're very vague. They don't mention anything specific about it. And uh, occasionally I've kind of responded, what specifically did you like? Never get an Correct. answer, never get an answer. <laughs> and you just know, you can tell straight away, there's a there's patterns that you can spot very quickly where you know that it's just a blast. Even though they try to make it like, it's it's not, it's it's easy to spot it. That's, I um, think that, that, that is, there is a reason for that, I think. And I think all of us as the leaders, we can take the blame on this because we move in a world where we have pressure, targets, we rush, we rush through those targets and we demand volume and a lot of, you know, business opportunities and a lot of connections and a lot of, you know, everything. And and, and because of that, we miss that uh, personalization because the people that they are doing the job, they feel that they need to generate such volume in order to get those results. Sometimes, and this is a model that I, I, that I use a lot, less is more, you know, and, and sometimes, mm. you know, the, 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 the less number but with the more quality will bring you more results for sure no i agree with that uh tell me uh, what what motivates you personally i, I guess i was actually having a, um, the review with my team yesterday and i and i mentioned you know that our job um an important part of our job is to actually keep our stakeholders happy. So keep the sales team happy with a lot of pipeline that, you know, is a lot of quality. And one of the things that I was telling them, it, it was actually that, is remember that, you know, in this in this job, it's not only about what we deliver, but how we deliver it. Meaning that the relationships that you will, that you, will you know, you will have through your career, they're very important. And I guess this was one of the values that I learned also in LinkedIn, you know, relationship matters. And I think that's, what motivates me, you know, to actually be able to do something that is impactful somehow, but at the at the end of the day, is also causing to someone an impact that will probably remember maybe in a in a few years, and they will have that memory from from me. I think that's the more meaningful because you know you can I could tell you you know I, I you know I feel motivated by hitting my targets every single quarter and do it in you know twelve quarters in a row. No one is going to remember that. At the end of the day, no one, apart from you, and probably you will also forget at some point. But I think 
the most impactful thing and, and what it motivates me is to you know to keep building those relationships with people and eventually you know be able as well you know to 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 bring those relationships you know a, a, any day in the future and i think that's a very important aspect you know to build your network in a way that maybe in the future you know you need to hire someone and you can ask a favor to someone else or someone else can ask you a favor and keep those relationships very active that's something that i guess is also very difficult because you know in a way we are moving in a, as i said earlier you know mm. too fast and sometimes we don't really invest on developing on those relationships but i think what motivates me to me is you know to to be to be in that position where I think I provide, you know, what my team and my stakeholders uh, need from me, but also I can also count on them, you know, when I need something from them. As you transitioned, Daniel, Daniel, from individual contributor to into a sales leadership role, what was the biggest personal challenge you faced and what did you learn as a result? This was actually the first time it happened. Um, it happened in, in the shop where I was working, you know, I, I, I went from floor staff into a manager role uh, after three months joining, joining the, the company, the, 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 the shop that I was working for. And one of my colleagues um, didn't appreciate it for some reason, uh, didn't understand the move. And, 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 you know, it was very difficult, of course, you know, when you have to manage someone and you have maybe to give some guidelines or ask for something, the reaction was probably a bit bitter and uh, dealing with those situations, I guess, you know, sometimes happens. And I think people, they need to be ready when it comes, you know, uh, when you are, or when you move from an individual contributor and you move into a management role and sometimes you ended up uh, managing the people that you used to work with, that's something that you need to be ready for because some people will take it perfectly and, you know, there will be no problem and they will actually help you. But some of the people, for some reason, you know, they will don't understand or they will probably need more time to understand why that move and I, I think that's something that you need to to be prepared for that that's it that must be very difficult because it can be a real kick in the ego for people for, for some people I'm curious to know though are there people who put on a face and pretend they're okay with it but in reality they're not okay with it because the, the ones who are not okay with it at least you know that and you know mm -hmm. You, you can do something with that. But the ones who who put on a mask and say, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. It, this is great. Congratulations. Well done. I'm really delighted. You know, it, there's, I'm I don't know if you came across that because I'm sure the shop wasn't that big that you had so many. Yeah, no, uh, but, uh, stuff, but this this has happened as well, you know, in other, in other companies where I got this, this uh, situation. And I can tell you that, yeah, there is people like this. I wouldn't say, I would say not that many. I think, you know, I, I think people at least, you know, and, and, and also because probably we can also read people and, you know, even if they put that mask, sometimes you can read, you know, between the lines and you can actually see the, the real feeling. But yeah, you can always find, you know, every single uh, kind of situation where they don't like it, they like it and they support you and they tell you they like it, but they don't like it. So I think that you have every, every single situation. And as a manager and as a leader, I think, you know, one of the skills that we need to develop is to actually, you know, be able to handle every single conversation with the three uh, different profiles that you have in front of you and trying to understand as well you know what you can do to improve that relationship yeah anybody i speak to who who goes through that transition is 
It's very much trying to find a, a, a new identity you can step into and be comfortable in this role as a leader. And I'm curious to know if that happened for you, and if so, when was it that you woke up one day and, and just felt really comfortable in, in this role as a, as, a, as a sales leader? It did not happen for sure when I got promoted into a team lead role or similar. He actually, you know, there was a lot of learning and there was a lot of situations as well that probably, you know, I, I didn't do well and I made a mistake. And I probably the best thing of that is that in my case, I learned from that. Um, I, I think like everything else, and I, and I think, you know, this is a common topic as well. Sometimes we think that the best performers are immediately, or they, they, they will be immediately the best managers. And it's not always like that. Sometimes we kind of push them because we tell them that is the way, that is the natural way, the natural profession. You will be the best in your team and shortly after you will become manager. But not everyone wants that. And mm. this is why I think we need to nurture more and more those conversations where we really understand if that is the path that they want to take. Because at the end of the day, they can still be individual contributors and be still successful and even sometimes uh, earn more money than, than a manager um, if they really overachieve their on, the, on their targets. Mm. But I would say that that is one of the things that we need to we need to do more because sometimes I think we push those individuals and like in my case, as I said, I didn't feel immediately comfortable and I made mistakes and probably I spoke to people, you know, in the way that I shouldn't, uh, not in a bad way, but maybe, you know, not saying things in the way that I should. Um, and I guess that's a good reflection, you know, for the people that wants to actually, you know, made a career out of management. I think they need to reflect a lot on their early days and trying to understand, mm. you know, how they made feel people. Because at the end of the day, and I, I'm coming back to what you are, were asking me before about, you know, how you motivate yourself. It's, it's all about how you make feel uh, the people that you, they work with you. It's, it's all about, you know, that that feeling that you are going to create on that person that eventually will remember in a few years. So if you, you really invest on that relationship, I'm sure, you know, the, 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 the outcome will be good. But some people, as I said, they don't have that experience whenever they become they become managers or, or, or leaders and they make mistakes so as long as they are able to learn from those they're in a good way okay what's your own personal definition of success being able to not be stressed by the things around you because I think we have a lot of things going on on a personal and on a professional level and i can tell you personally you know we moved house recently and it was a hell of a <laughs> of a move it was a you know some some issues that probably you were not expecting and that together with your job that is very demanding as well especially in a global role sometimes you need to wake up at four o'clock because you need to deal with you know apac in singapore or something when you get those things together probably you need to breathe more than more than usual and yeah. um and i think that's that's i think the best learning you know that sometimes you need to give things the right level of of importance you know and 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 priorities because at the end of the day what is the most important is your mental health and sometimes mm. your personal issues and your professional issues they clash at the same time 
and your mental health might be might be uh, compromised. So definitely, I would I would say that success to me is being able to do what you do in your day to day, personal and professional, with a very low level of stress that allows you to enjoy things like very very normal things. Mm. I like that. Um, I think I read somewhere there was a quote, and I may I get I'll get this wrong, but it says uh, happiness is the absence of fear. That that's a good one. Or, or you could say stress. It's 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 the same kind of you know when you take that. But away, I, but, I, but I like I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get yours because I like I mean fear, uncertainty is is something that I think we suffer you know more and more with the current situation. I mean I think. And probably you know you, you can understand that with the current situation there's a lot of people there out there that they have a job but they are uncertain about how long that job is going to be for them because maybe their company is doing a layoff we have that you know mm. over the last few weeks with many companies and i think that sense of fear is very present on many people and i think this is this is an opportunity also you know for everyone to to check on their mental health because having i wouldn't say a dead sentence but having that fear every time you wake up every day that you wake up and you're in front of your computer and you're working for something and you don't know how long that is going to be that is a tough one so yeah i would always say that you know let's let's pay attention into this because it is very important yeah if i look back over the last two years um work life has changed enormously and as a sales leader, I can imagine there's a lot of difficulties where I've spoken to many people, I'm sure you're the same, who had who hired people remotely, had them in their teams working for them maybe six months or more before they even ever got to meet them face to face. And you don't get to travel as much. Uh, so I know there's downsides. Uh, what are the, first of all, what are the positives from that entire experience that you'd like to hold on to? going forward into next year and the year after yeah that is that is a another good question and another difficult as well because don't get me wrong i like the way things have evolved when it comes to working from home being remote and having the flexibility of you know being you know the one that decides you know how you are going to run your day because maybe you know you have some things that you cannot avoid in the middle of the day if you were in an office you couldn't attend now you can so I, lo I love mm. that but of course the, the the social aspect it is very important i have you mentioned i have people in my team that is based out of china australia i haven't met the yet i mean i only saw these faces over a, a video conference you cannot make the most of that relationship i mean even if you have the best tools and you know even if you could have somehow i don't know i don't know another new tool that would bring you Another element of that, at the end of the day, the face-to-face -face conversation is replaceable. It's something that you need, especially in sales, especially, you know, to be in an office, having the atmosphere of, you know, when someone is doing something great, celebrate it, make it, you know, make it a big deal out of it. That is something that I, I, I personally miss. And I'm hoping that at some point we're going to get into a hybrid um, dynamic where you can still go to the office, uh, but of course, you pick the days that you want, and then of course, if you have some commitments, you can you know you can work from home. That would be for me the perfect the perfect way because mm. otherwise you are missing an element. You mentioned when you were introducing me things that I like from from what you said about me, which is something that I think you cannot have 
over a video conference, which is, I mean, you can smile, but you cannot have the body language. You can have fun, but you cannot have the, the, the same fun of being in an office, having a great quarter and going, I don't know, going for a, you know, maybe a glass of wine or maybe, you know, some drinks after. That is something that is irreplaceable. And I'm hoping that we are going to get back to, to that. Not fully, because I think, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the remote world is here to stay. And I think, you know, fairly so. But I believe, you know, we need the social element. Yes. Yeah, because I, I do know there, there are hormones we release when we physically, you know, shake hands, touch, hug, that you, you just don't get with a digital representation of the individual. As, yes. as useful and as efficient as that can be at times, it's just not the same. I'm curious, is, is, is your view shared with most reps? That are, do, are most reps looking for hybrid, get back to the office or sticking with what they had? I was surprised when I, when I got this kind of somehow results about this when I was, when, you know, in the different companies that I work in the last two companies that I work after the pandemic, we were checking with employees. So what is your favorite? And a lot of people were saying hybrid or even coming back to the office. Some mm. people, they felt very much isolated at home, mm. very lonely. I mean, you need to think about, you know, the people that maybe, you know, you have people that they are single individuals, they don't have maybe a partner and they feel completely lonely, you know, working eight, 10 hours in front of a computer. Yeah, then they can do something social, but most of the day they're on their own. So yeah, that was the response that I got from, especially, you know, the younger people, which I initially I thought, okay, these people, you know, they want to work from home. They don't want to be, I wouldn't say micromanaged, but you know, monitor or something, because of course, when you're in an office, you have a feeling that everyone is monitoring you, what, 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 you're, do, what you're doing, but that wasn't the case. It was actually on the contrary, they want to go to the office, they want to socialize, they want to exchange, they want to go for a coffee and take the break together. Because at the end of the day, one of the worst things, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that I I, I don't learn, I, I can't learn, and I need to push myself to do it. You don't take breaks, you know, you keep going, you know, mm -hmm. you ended up eating in front of your computer because you have a meeting in 30 minutes that you need to prepare, your partner is there waiting, are you eating with me? Sorry, I can't today. And I keep doing that. And that's, that's not helping me and, and that's something that I need to change and you know we, I also need to give myself breaks uh, and I think everyone everyone is, is the same. It's interesting you say that I remember reading an article a few years ago about the things that contribute to a long a long life and I was surprised that things that we often pick up are like being overweight, um, smoking, lack of exercise, they weren't number one, number two. They were like four, five, six down that list. The actual number one thing that 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 con contributed to the, a long life was social contact, uh, uh, systemic social contact, meaning people you could sit down with and be vulnerable with, and 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 laugh with, and cry with, and you know be close to. But the second highest, which which really does I think come into the office environment was casual social contact like like years ago i remember as a child my mother would have gone down to our town it was maybe a 10 minute walk every day to buy some goods like they, there weren't big supermarkets so you'd buy for bread fresh milk fresh and uh, 
and, and you'd meet people on the way down and then you'd go into the post office uh, and then you'd meet somebody on the way back and you'd stop and have a little chat. And it was just those little interactions with people you might not even know their first name. But it was those casual social contacts um, that, that at least the researchers found were a significant uh, influence on living a long and healthy life. And I think that's where the office comes in because I don't know that you're going to have that, those deep connections with everybody. You might have a best friend and a couple of pals, but most people, they're work colleagues. Yeah, but yeah. they're also great for, well, did you get to see the game last night? Or how, how, was your, how did your date go? Whatever it is. It's casual, but it's so, so important. It's, a little it's, normal, it's normal that you are telling me that because, of course, coming from an Irish person, I think you guys are the most welcoming people. This is what was, what was one of the reasons why I went to Ireland. And hopefully, if, if there is anyone from the UK that doesn't, doesn't take it bad, but when I actually choose you know, to go abroad to study English, I pick Ireland over the UK simply because of that. And I think you know, that's something that resonates a lot with me, you know, because at the end of the day, even for an experience like that, when you need to learn English yeah. in another country, you need to feel welcome, you need to feel that yeah. you are at home. I'm happy to say that, you know, after 13 years living in Ireland and I left three years ago, I still keep friends, Irish friends that I have in there. And, um, you know, I, I keep the relationship with them. And that, I think that's something that definitely, you know, resonates with me because I think the social aspect, you guys are probably mastering that uh, over any other country. Well, it's funny. I think there are, there are commonalities. I think the Spanish culture, and the Irish culture are very different, but there are threads. It's a, they're both Catholic, tr traditionally Catholic countries. And there's also, like if you get onto a bus in Ireland, people are all chatting, it's, but it's louder. The noise is louder if you're on a bus in Spain. There's no question about it. Uh, that said, and, and I, I lived eight years in England, and I have to say, they were extremely welcoming. Um, I loved it, and still have. Don't get me wrong. Fans. I don't want. I don't want. Yeah. No, I know that. I'm just saying. People from the UK are not welcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, and and the the one thing I always wanted to say, and I'm just using this as an opportunity because I don't think it gets said enough by Irish people is I moved to England in 86 and returned in 95. And in 86, the IRA were still setting bombs off and they couldn't have been more, like they, they never said you're Irish. Right. And, and labeled me with that. There was no, you know, they, 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 they took you as an individual rather than some group identity which is a, a kind of a thing I detest when people are automatically, you, you assume certain values because you come from a particular tradition or culture or country. And uh, yeah. I, I, never, I never felt they did that. Uh, but I understand what you're talking about. There is something else too. And I remember uh, I, when I was in college in England, actually, there was a good pal of mine and he came from the south of France. And he said that the people in the south of France were very much like the Irish and, and the north of France are quite different. And he explained it this way, and I thought it was interesting. He said, people in Ireland are very quick to open up their arms to you, but very slow to put them around you. And he said, people in the north of France are the opposite. And, and you see that in some cultures as well. And, and the English are a little bit in between in that you, you have to earn the right to, to, but, but once you're a friend, you're a friend for life. And I think in Ireland we're more 
casual with our friendships. Now, that's a huge generalization. I know that. But and, and, I, I and always I, find and it I, interesting. Hopefully didn't come across as a generalization. No, not at all. Not at all. I went. Uh, I went. To, I went to UK many times, and I felt so welcome in there. But I was. Yeah. I was going to say that you know, for me, and probably because I lived there and I experienced that, you know, in in in, in myself, yeah. you know, that the people from Ireland was always very welcoming, and very nice to me, yeah. and that's the memory that I get from the country. That's it. Yeah. I thought you were just going to say that you came to Ireland because to learn English. Who goes to England because you can't understand them, right? <laughs> well, actually, at the time, I think I had more I had more issues understanding Irish people than than UK. And now it's the other I way know. around. As you said, probably I got used to the Irish uh, yeah. English rather than the UK. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess yeah, yeah, no. with the time, you know, you learn. But at the beginning, it was very difficult. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Tell me, um, who inspires you most? I mean, I guess there are many people, you know, I think uh, I, I don't have a concrete person, you know, that, you know, I would say that that's my my only uh, source of inspiration. I mean, my dad, of course, you know, being a, a hard worker, uh, my mom who passed away, you know, a few years ago, who also uh, was giving everything for us and, you know, for the family, making sure that we had everything that we needed from a, you know, education point of view, from, you know, uh, culture and values point of view and I think at this point you know those are the values that I deploy in my day to day so I guess you know every single person in my family is an inspiration because you know we we try to be you know um, a family you know with a set of values very very um, very solid and I would say that's that's the kind of people that I that I look up and of course my partner the, the one I learn every single day and I keep learning and that's something that uh, you know uh, Amaze me, you know, every day that I'm, you know, realizing things uh, when, you know, she's doing something and, 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 and I'm learning from her. So that's probably the one that inspires me most. Oh, that's such a nice thing to say. I'll make sure that you, she watches. You'll make she sure she this. hears that. Yeah. Well, I'll have to get this clip and I'll put it up on LinkedIn and you can tell me I'm a tiger. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that's got to be worth something. <laughs> T tell me what traits did your parents have that you'd like your children to inherit? Down to earth. I mean, like at the end of the day, I like I like people when they are, you know, humble. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, that ego piece when it comes to LinkedIn showing up. There is something on me that it kind of goes away from, from the showing off uh, peace you know and i like that and i think i learned that from 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 my parents and that's something that i would like you know to keep you know to 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 influence you know my my, my future children as well so definitely you know being being humble in a world where there is a lot of ego there is a lot of opportunity to to show off there is a lot of social media where everyone is there you know once again telling everyone how beautiful life is being away from that and, and, and looking at probably the minor things that at the end of the day they matter the most, that's something that I would like to to transfer to them. That's nice, I like that. Yeah. Because you you're right, there are there are different dangers out there now and one of them is Too many. The, Too many yeah, today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's traditional ones but there's also new ones. I heard today that there's a, a thing where you can buy clothes 
that you only, they're designed specifically to put on for an Instagram photograph. And I see that and I thought, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Thank God, thank, thank God that I didn't know that because that's, that means that, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. But yeah, I mean, I think we are evolving too quick in, in some aspects and, you know, the younger people, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, there is a lack of maybe education or something that put them in, in, in that trend. And I think trends are very dangerous because trends are very, you know, very fast and, you know, they also disappear very fast. So, uh, you know, I would always, I would always recommend, you know, to, to look at your set of values and, and try to avoid the new trends because it's, as you said, it's dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And, and it is difficult because they're at such an impressionable age with peer pressure, but mm. now I'm, now I'm sounding like one of those people I didn't want to become, which is when I was young, <laughs> we didn't have, <laughs> when I was young, it was different. I, I do true. feel I do feel blessed though that I grew up in an age where there was no social media. Uh, I think it's wonderful. I love it. We wouldn't be doing this without it. Exactly. Uh, but there there are dangers. There really are. Um, but anyway, it's like everything that's, else. That's, it's like everything yeah. else. Everything under control. You know, it's good yes. if if you if you are able to make the most of it. But when you go to an extreme, you know, might be. Might be dangerous, maybe, I mean, you might not get what you really need to get from that. Mm. And that is, that is something that we need to watch out as a society, mm. because as, as I said, you know, even LinkedIn, who you would think is the most professional social channel, you still get, you know, some pieces of that. And of course, if you go to also other social channels like Instagram, the, the one you mentioned now, or even other ones, yeah, you see a lot of, you know, I would say time wasted that, as I said, you know, Coming back to the conversation that I would have with a, you know, with a with a younger profile, you know, when you look back, you know, you're gonna look back at what you did, you know, try at least to have something meaningful and not something that disappears yeah. as a trend. Yeah. No, I have to say, I I was addicted to social media, and I got rid of Facebook about two years ago, Twitter about six months ago, LinkedIn. Now I've got a lot of that gone, and I feel it, it does. I feel better. I don't feel because you, you see stuff that you react to, and it does that on purpose. It serves up content that you're looking at. And you're going, mm, I don't like that, you know, and and it just makes you feel bad. Whether it's on a Facebook, it could be somebody. It's always other people having a great time, and you're stuck in an office looking out a window, and you think, oh, my life sucks, but their life is wonderful. Yeah. And 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 it's like water over a rock. I think it wears it down over time. You, it's not overnight. It works. But I yeah. certainly feel uh, better having broken the link with a lot of it. Um, and I think it, it resonates as well. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same. It's not about social media. But I think it's the way we consume things, the way that we consume information. And I was having a chat with a friend of mine recently and we were talking, we we're saying, you know what? I have the feeling that there are not such nice movies like before. And he was telling me, but at the end of the day, it's not because they are not doing great movies. It's because we consume a lot. We have many different platforms where we can watch a movie every single day or maybe twice per day. Where before you used to go to the cinema that great day of the week on Saturday where, you know, you were paying your ticket and you were really looking forward to that movie because that was the kind of, you know, the highlight of the week, let's say. Yeah. But now you have that in a massive consumption. So I think that's some some of the things that, you know, also I think resonates with what we are going through at the moment, that mm. it's a lot of a lot of things 
uh, that they are you you can access to them very easily and that makes you feel that you know you don't have mm. that kind of feeling of looking forward to something you know yeah couple of final questions Daniel one is this if you weren't doing what you're doing let's say you couldn't work again you're financially independent you cannot work for money again what would you do with your time so I love everything related to food uh, full stop so I, I love eating but also cooking and thinking about new recipes so I would probably have maybe not a restaurant but maybe a small cafe you know where I can maybe host people this is one of the things that i actually enjoy doing in my personal time you know bring people to my place make dinner and have a you know have the, the experience of a dinner not only having dinner but also the after dinner with you know some drinks nice chat and a, and a, and a bit of a laugh so that would be probably you know what i would do if, if i'm you know financially you know uh, okay and, and i don't need to work anymore i would probably you know have a, a small cafe where i can host people is it the social side or the creative side you enjoy the most? Mm. Both. I think it's a 50-50. I enjoy mm. the, creati the, the creativity, but I enjoy also, you know, for example, one of the things that, I, I, as I told you, we just moved to a new house and, 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 and the kitchen is still not renovated, so we still need to do a few things. One of the things is that, uh, that we are missing is the island in the middle of the kitchen because every time that I'm cooking, my partner is at my back, so I cannot chat with her. What we love is to actually, you know, me cooking and her in front of me, you know, maybe having a glass of wine and exchanging, you know, over over the cooking. That's, I think, you know, the perfect combination of the... So, the sounds fantastic. That sounds, and it'd be a great way to bring even staff together at times because it's, it's, it breaks, breaks away from the, the work environment. It brings them more into the social environment and you're sharing, breaking bread together is, sounds wonderful. Well, you, we used to do that. I used to do that in Dublin, actually, not anymore. But in Dublin, uh, I, we used to host this small club competition. So for the people who don't know club, I guess uh, pretty, pretty much everyone know. But clubs is, you know, all the top performers within a quarter, they achieve to club and they go to a, a trip in Hawaii or something. So, of course, um, we didn't bring the people to Hawaii, but I was bringing the people to my place and I was cooking a nice meal. Uh, to all of them and we we're having actually a good time it was actually the best opportunity to get to know the people outside the office and uh, actually in my place which was probably you know better than a pub or better than a restaurant because it was more yeah. it was warmer i guess yeah and you just got them to dress with the flowers and the grass skirts from hawaii and... <laughs> <laughs> no i'm sure it's spanish themed it has to be um it's funny when you said the thing about cooking what jumped into mind straight away was it could be great you could set up a little studio with lights and cameras and put on a cooking show but then i just realized i've already kicked the shit out of social media so we, you couldn't really do that after after doing i, I don't think i don't think i can do it like a jamie oliver or gordon ramsay i, I don't think I'm, I'm i'm made for that mm -hmm. i think i enjoy the, the the normal stuff you know which is yeah. you know cooking because sometimes you know cooking is also stressful you know you need to especially when you bring people home you want to be or you want to have everything almost perfect you know yeah for them and of course you stress and you know you probably are rushing and you probably are sweating you know because of the fire or everything um so yeah i, I don't think i would be uh, i would be made for for such a show of television cooking three quick very quick final questions and uh, desert island you're going to be marooned on a desert island and you don't know whether you're ever going to be rescued. What one thing would you bring with you? 
I guess, pictures of my family, my friends, and memories, yes. Okay. That might actually uh, be the answer to your next question then as well, which is if your house were burning down and you had the chance to rescue one thing, one item. Same. Is there a, is there a specific one though that you'd go for? It was just one. One picture, you mean? Not a picture, it could be anything, an object, like so your phone and your computer, they're safe, your family and any pets, they're safe. But there was one thing you could go back in, it could be anything in your house. That's a tough one. I guess, you know, once again, you know, the, the, the pictures that they are, probably they have more meaning to me, you know, that they probably are, I don't know, more remarkable as a, as a memory. I guess that's, that's it, because the, then the rest, look, anything can be can be paid you know with mm. from the insurance you know like i mean there is nothing really material that if something you know if the the, the house is burning i wouldn't mm. i wouldn't bother i wouldn't care you know okay so this might be an unfair question but if there was only one picture you could rescue yeah, that's, that's, one, I, I was hoping i was hoping for that one um i guess a picture with my partner myself and my two dogs which is my my current family at the moment. Okay, cool. The, the one then, I have closer here in Barcelona, at least. Final question. When your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of that book to be? That's a tough one. I don't know. How Danny, Danny cook for people. I don't know. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> or the, the recipes from Danny. Uh, something like that. <laughs> Recipes from Daniel. Okay, there's a food theme there. I like it. I like it. Listen, Daniel, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast thank today. You, Paul. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Paul.